The following is a teaching from Glenn Blakeney of Awake Nations. We trust that this message will both challenge and encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Awake Nations with Glenn Blakeney is taking the gospel of the kingdom around the globe by our audio and video resources, Miracle Crusades, and conferences. For more information about Awake Nations and Glenn Blakeney, please visit www.awakenations.org or call 813-433-1835. Again, that website address is www.awakenations.org and our phone number is 813-433-1835. And now, here is Glenn Blakeney. Now, the pathway to power is paved on the road of brokenness. And so I want to speak with you today about brokenness, what it means to be broken before the Lord. And I'm going to be sharing out of 2 Samuel. It's a very familiar story, if you've been a Christian long enough. It's a story about David, King David. David messed up really bad in the prime and apex of his reign as a king. We know that the Bible is replete with many testimonies of people who came to know firsthand the mercy and grace of God in their lives. Extortioners, thieves, murderers, prostitutes, politicians, lawyers, priests, doctors, foul-mouthed fishermen. You know, there's so many that God shows these snapshots of individual lives who've come to experience His grace. But yet, I believe of all the people in the Bible, no one experienced the mercy of God in a greater way than David, king of Israel. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 3, the Bible says, Incline your ear and come to me, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So it speaks of how David knew the mercies of God probably more than anybody else. Now, you know his story. He started off as a shepherd boy, and, and eventually he was elevated by the Lord to the position of king over Israel. And he became one of the most powerful and also wealthiest men on the face of the earth. Initially, David's reign was a, it was a reign that was marked by integrity and righteousness. The scripture says that he, he, he literally shepherded Israel with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. That's what it says in Psalm 78. So David was a good man. But later, in the time when kings go out to war, 2 Samuel 11 says, David stayed home. While David was at home, what took place is he went out into his balcony and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. This woman's name was Bathsheba. She was married to a man by the name of Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He fought for David's army. He was committed to David. He was loyal to him. I mean, he was more loyal than, than hardly anyone else. But David decided, as was the custom of kings in those days, that he wanted Bathsheba to be his wife. So he sent a messenger to go and to knock on her door and to tell her the king desires you. Now, many of the pagan kings in those days would practice this type of thing. But David was not to be like the kings of the peoples. He was to be a man whose life and rule was marked by integrity and wholehearted obedience to God's law. Now, the scripture says 
in the time, the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David and Joab, um, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. He stays home. Now, David had come to the position, I believe, demonstrated by this statement, or why else would the Word of God mention this, where he thought he was now, you know, too good and beyond going out to war. He could just send out his generals and they'd do the job for him. He could stay home and take it easy and relax. Now, David evidently had fallen into a place where his heart had become, uh, his head had become big and his heart had become arrogant and he was no longer committed to serve God with that humility in which he possessed when the Lord had called him and when he first became king. One of the things that the Israelites, uh, Israelite kings were to do is uh, given by God in Deuteronomy 17, actually, if you look there, Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20, says that when a man would become king in Israel, he was to actually take and write out himself with his own hand on a scroll, the laws of God. This is actually on the PowerPoint, if we could go there. He was to write it out. And it says, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy these laws on a scroll for himself in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep this copy of the law with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of this law. This says, this regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. This will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Now, the truth is, when we as a people get away from the, God, from the Word of God, we stray also from the God of the Word. There's no way around it. If the Bible is not being read, if it's not being studied, if it's not something that we are applying to our lives, then what happens is, first of all, the knowledge of God, the truth of what God is saying, because the Holy Spirit reminds us and speaks specific things to us to keep us humble, then we don't have that in front of us. The Scripture says it's like what? A mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we see what we really look like. You see, if we compare ourselves with one another then, you know, at times we might look pretty good. But the Scripture says that we're not to compare ourselves with one another. But we are to only look into the mirror of God's Word and see if we are truly living and walking in the ways of the Lord. That's the only way we're going to know whether or not we are truly pleasing the Lord. It's through the Word of God, not through the standards of, of other Christians or other believers. Amen? So David had neglected, I believe, to keep the Word of God in front of him. As a result, then his pride eventually caught up with him. It resulted in his falling into the depths of sin. He committed adultery uh, with his neighbor's wife. And you know the rest of the story. Upon finding out that she was pregnant, David had her husband killed in order to cover up his wrongdoing. You can read the story here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, David had assumed that he had masterminded the perfect scheme, that he would not be caught, and that there were only, I believe it was just Joab, who actually knew that this was a setup, and that Uriah had been put in the front lines of warfare, uh, of the battle, the heat of the battle, in order to be picked off and taken out, because David had to cover up his crime, his sin. 
But David was unconscious of the fact that God knew what was going on. The scripture says that though no one else really knew, and it looked like David had gotten away with the perfect crime, the scripture says in 2 Samuel 11:27, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David was then approached by a man of God by the name of Nathan, who came to him, and Nathan, being divinely summoned to go and to rebuke the king, did not fear the king, though it could have potentially cost him his neck, but he went and he rebuked the king. Now, you remember the story. He approached David in 2 Samuel 12, and he presented to David a story. The story says there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned nothing but a little lamb. I'm sorry, the rich man owned many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb he had worked hard to buy. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. The story says, but instead of killing a lamb from his own flocks for food... He took the poor man's lamb and killed it and served it to his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan looks David square in the eyes and he says, You are that man. You see, what had happened is David had been indicted against a crime that was very similar to this in nature when you look at it. David had everything that he could have. David even had many wives. And the scripture says that David took the only wife of one of his close friends and allies, slept with her, and committed a terrible sin before God. Now, David literally, under the law, should have been deposed as king and even stoned, put to death. But the word of the Lord comes to David because of his response. Now, you notice that David's response is a response of humility before God. He could have said, you know, I'm the king. How dare you approach me and say this to me? But David said, I am the man. He said, I have sinned against God. And the word that came back to him through the prophet is, you will not die. God has forgiven you. You know, there were consequences to David's decision. You remember the story, what took place is that God actually said to David, He said, look, He said, because the enemies of God might blaspheme, He said, this child, I have to take it. And the Lord ended up taking this child. David fasted and prayed and he asked the Lord to intervene in the situation and prevent the child from dying. But God had determined in his wisdom and counsel that it was best that this child go to be with the Lord. David, at this time, became a man, I believe, that was restored to a position of humility and dependence upon the Lord. David had become broken once again. And actually, the scripture says, as a direct result of this experience that David had, he penned at least two psalms, one being Psalm 51 and the other Psalm 38. Psalm 51, you're very familiar with it. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindnesses and so on. But you see, later on in Psalm 51, 
verse 17, the Lord gives us divine insight into why David was restored and, brought, and allowed to continue as the king over Israel. The scripture says, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So the sacrifices of God, what is God looking for? This is a very important verse of scripture. God isn't looking for people that are committed to, you know, kind of dutiful uh, faith. You know, we, I give, I show up in church. No, no, no. God is looking for people that have a broken heart. A people that are able to offer to Him the true sacrifices that He's looking for. A broken and a contrite heart. Scripture says elsewhere in the Psalms, it says, The Lord is near to those that are of a broken heart, and He saves such as who have a contrite spirit. God is looking for people of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Later on, we know that David literally came back to God and followed Him the rest of the days of his life. He, had, he made his mistakes even after this, subsequent to this time. But in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse number 22, the Word says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. He was a man after God's own heart because he fulfilled all of God's will. So here, literally hundreds of years later, David is recognized and affirmed by the Lord himself as a man after God's own heart. I'm so glad, aren't you today, that God doesn't hold, a, keep a record of our wrongdoings. But when we sin and when we make mistakes and we come to God in genuine repentance, He forgives us of all of our sins. And then we continue to walk with the Lord and we fulfill His will and His calling on our lives. It doesn't matter what we did. It doesn't matter if we committed adultery or had someone murdered like David did. The fact is, God can look at us and say, that's a man, that's a woman after my own heart, because they do my will. You see, the Lord is looking for a people that have this broken and contrite spirit. And, you know, I really began to think about this. What does it mean to be broken before God? And, you know, I'll tell you one thing. Brokenness, in the biblical sense, is not debilitation, but rather... It's a place of restoration and dependence upon God. God isn't trying to break us in the sense that, you know, He's trying to cripple us and, and, and just keep us down. You know, that's what the devil's up to. But brokenness has to do with a brokenness that is, has to do with our heart and, and the attitude of our heart. In other words, it's a brokenness that literally breaks us and, and literally severs us and disconnects us from self-dependence and pride and brings us to that place where we're dependent upon God. Now, let me illustrate to you. Have you ever seen this happen? The Bible says that the foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But it says the rod shall drive it out. What happens when a child is bent on foolishness? When a child is bent on doing things their own way, it's amazing what the rod will do. It's amazing what a good act of discipline can do. It gets that child's attention and brings that child to the place 
where through whatever type of discipline you use, it's good discipline, right? I mean, discipline is not punishment. That what actually takes place is that child comes to his or her senses, snaps out of it, realizes what they've been like, and usually it comes during a time of brokenness or sadness that the lights go back on again, and they begin to get their eyes off of how foolish they were, and they begin to become sober and focused on what the way they should be living and the way they should be behaving. And you see, when we're walking along and we just can't hear God's voice because we're so, we're so bullheaded, we're determined we're going to do things our own way, and we don't have this type of ear that hears the voice of God, and we are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then you can be assured that sooner or later, God will bring, apply the rod to our lives, because the Scripture says in Hebrews, every son whom he loves and every son that is legitimately his is chastened of the Lord... And He will bring the rod into our lives in an attempt to implement and activate brokenness in us. Now, it's interesting. The Hebrew word for brokenness is shabar. Strong 76.65. And the word shabar in Hebrew literally and figuratively means to burst. It can be used of something literally bursting like a wineskin. It can be used also in the sense of a person's heart bursting. In fact, in Ezekiel 9, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 6, it is used to speak of God's heart bursting or breaking over the sin of His people. But it also means in Hebrew to give birth, to bring to the birth. And when the Scripture refers to brokenness, it's not speaking of something that leaves us crippled or debilitated. Rather, it's speaking of a process that is remedial in effect. A process that heals us and brings us to that place of being fully dependent upon God. Because before God can heal us, often He has to break us. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147.3 so brokenness is coming to that place where we become completely um, disconnected and, and non-dependent upon our flesh, and we become completely dependent upon God. Now, let me give you an example, I believe, one of the best examples in the Scripture of what it means to be broken. If you turn to Psalm 32, the book of Psalms, the 32nd chapter... Hallelujah. Psalm 32. Verse number 8 and 9. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. God is saying, I want to govern your life. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to walk in my counsel. But don't be like a stubborn mule or horse that needs a bit and a bridle in it to turn it. 
Now, if you know anything about horseback riding, you know, it is actually possible to ride a horse without a bit and a bridle. A horse that has really been trained will be sensitive to its rider to the point that when the rider says something or, you know, puts his, digs his feet into the, the horse's rib cage or whatever, that horse knows exactly how to respond. First Nations people have done an effective job of showing, you know, throughout history that they can ride a horse without a bit and a bridle and without a saddle. So it is possible for a horse to become so sensitive to its master that it ends up literally responding to just the slightest command. In other words, it becomes so sensitive that it says, okay, you mean turn right. Oh, go straight ahead. Stop. You see, jump. The horse becomes sensitive. It doesn't need beaten. It doesn't need whipped. But it responds to the instruction and the command of its master with complete meekness and submission. You see, when you think about a horse, you know, ranchers and cowboys, and you get a wild horse, right? They'd speak of breaking in a horse. What does that mean? It just simply means that horse becomes, uh, that horse literally becomes responsive and the self-will and stubbornness and it is broken, so it comes to the place where it responds to the master. You can buy a new car. You need to break in that new car, right? Can't drive it too fast for, for so many kilometers. Get a new pair of shoes or a coat, especially if it's leather. Got to break them in as well. What does that mean? It simply means that we are endeavoring to get rid of the stiffness that hinders the object from achieving and fulfilling the purpose of its design. And God is saying when He is endeavoring to break us, He's bringing us to that place where we will no longer resist the purpose for which we were made. But we will respond to the purpose for which He has called us and created us for. That's what true brokenness is. Now, brokenness has to do with not only becoming completely responsive to God in the sense that we're no longer depending upon our flesh and that spirit of pride and rebellion and, bro and, and stubbornness has, has been just crushed in us, but it also means we become useful and effective for birthing the purposes of God. You see, the Scripture says that this child that God had, you know, that had been born as a result of sin was taken. But God, in His mercy, gave David another son. David's other son was literally Solomon. David called Solomon Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And I want you to see in this a word picture of what brokenness does. When someone like Abraham, for example, we try to fulfill the purpose of God in, in our own strength and with our own planning and wisdom, you know, Abraham did have a son, right? Ishmael wasn't God's will. But you see, what happens is when we get to that place where we'll submit to God perfectly, God will birth the promise and the plan and the destiny that He has for our lives. But we've got to come to that place, first of all, where we are not dependent upon our own resources, wisdom, or strength, but we are completely submitted to God and we are expecting Him to affect His purposes through us. 
You see, the Lord told David, David, if you wanted another wife, he said, I could have given you another wife. Now, it's Old Testament. It doesn't happen anymore today. Okay? But he actually said, David, I mean, you had all these riches, all these women, all these children, the fame, the renown, and I could have increased it all if you would have just trusted me. But rather you went and you took that little lamb that belonged to someone else and you sinned against God. Listen, when we come to that place where we trust God in our lives and we have truly become broken, which means I don't do anything without God leading me. I don't speak anything without God telling me what to speak. I mean, I hear His voice. I respond to His will. Okay? And we are no longer stubborn. But it's just this whisper. God speaks in a still, small voice. He doesn't scream and yell at us. You know, there are so many Christians that don't hear the voice of God because they're not broken. But you see, it's in the place of brokenness where we hear the voice of God. It's in the place of brokenness where He can speak to us and declare to us the mysteries of the gospel. He can open up the eyes of our heart. He can give us a word in season. He can give us a revelation of even things to come. But it's in that place of brokenness. And I want to show you what that looks like in Psalm 51. I'm sorry. Let's go, let's go to Isaiah, first of all, 50. Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. Starting at verse 4. Starting at verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me His words of wisdom, so that I may know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning He wakens me, and He opens my understanding to His will. I like the way the New King James puts it. He opens my ears. That's what it says. He awakens me. The Sovereign Lord has spoken to me. And I've listened. Listen to this. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Now we know that this has an immediate application to Jesus. It speaks of Christ. Jesus said, whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Whatever I hear the Father say, I speak. But you understand, this is talking about a person who is so sensitive to the Lord that even on a regular basis, on a daily basis, the Lord is able to speak to that person. The Lord is able to open their eyes and their hearts so they hear the voice of God and they know what to speak. And they, they speak a word, and that word literally brings deliverance. That word literally opens doors. That word literally changes lives. Because this is a person who's not stubborn or, or, or self-dependent, but they're completely dependent upon God. And when we get to that place where we're truly broken before God, where we're truly humble, and we're truly dependent upon the Lord... And, you know, sometimes we just walk this with this mindset of this is the way it is and I know it's true. And we don't have a teachable spirit. And when we don't have a teachable spirit, we can't move into the purposes of God. 
there are things that I've been taught and what I've believed and I've preached adamantly as what I, at the time, genuinely believed to be the truth of God's Word. And I found out subsequently that wasn't the whole picture. And if we can't come to that place where we admit that we are finite and we do not know all things and that God has much more to teach us, you see, then we are in a position where we're not broken. God wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. He wants us to be governed by Him. He wants to bring us to that place where we're completely dependent upon Him. Listen, when we are truly broken, out of that experience, and I want you to catch this, the power and the life of Christ is manifested. Let me show you an example. I'd like to go to John chapter 12 for a moment. You remember the story about Martha. I believe it was Mary, actually. And Mary anointed the Lord with this fragrant oil. I think this is on here, Carl. It's John 12 speaks of this anointing oil. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume she made from essence of nard. Now, what she did was she took this, and it was in like an alabaster box, and she broke it open, this box. And as she did, the aroma and the fragrance exuded to the point that the Scripture says the house was filled with the fragrance. Now, when we are broken before God, we too will literally fill the atmosphere with the fragrance of Christ in us wherever we go. And that will change lives to those who are open to Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me in this passage in 2 Corinthians. It's also on the PowerPoint. It says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us, He spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The Scripture says that to those who are being saved, it's something they accept, they delight in, and they enjoy. But to others who don't want the truth of the gospel, it becomes something offensive to them. But nonetheless, we still are the fragrance of God among those who are being saved. We spread everywhere the aroma of God. So what I'm saying today is this word fragrance, aroma, speaks of the life of God. It speaks of heaven coming to earth. It speaks of the glory of the Father being released in our midst. In other words, a broken people give birth to the manifestation of the glory and the presence of God. And when we're not broken, then all we do is give forth the fragrance of flesh. We give forth the, the smell of carnality and of man, but not the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Whenever we minister, the Scripture says, whatever we do, people should look at us and they should see Christ in us. They should be able to identify that there's a ring of heaven in our preaching. There's a ring of heaven in our serving. There's a ring and an aroma of Christ when we lead worship or whatever we do. Now, the Scripture says 
that God has given to us a treasure in earthen vessels. It's a treasure in earthen vessels. And I want you just, if you would turn to Judges chapter 7 for a moment, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here. It speaks about God's command to Gideon. And it's, it's a really good word picture. In Judges 7, God spoke to Gideon. You remember the story, Gideon's crime. The, you know, the angel shows up and says, O mighty man of valor, God is with you, right? And Gideon's response, if God is with me, then why are we in bondage? And what did the Lord say back to him through the angel? Go in this strength of yours and you deliver your people from the Midianites. In other words, God is choosing, has chosen you to make a difference. Now, what takes place is the Lord actually gives Gideon instruction as to specifically something he was going to do. You know the story, um, you know, the, the, there's a breakdown in, in the troops and ends up there's just 300 people left. But what takes place eventually here is Gideon says in verse number 16, he divided 300 men into three groups. And what did he do? He gave each man a trumpet, which was literally a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. I want you to see this. A clay jar with a torch in it. And what did he say? He said, keep your eyes on me, and when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Then it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Now, here's what they did. I want you to follow this. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns, and they broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands, and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. This speaks... It's, a, it's an incredible word picture of what God was endeavoring to do. Now, you'll notice that God said, this battle, I'm going to make it plain that it's me who's in charge so that all the glory is going to go to me. So let's just what? Let's just kind of just break it down, break it down. hundred men, right? Three hundred men, hundred men in each camp. And then what takes place is, okay, the horn... The ram's horn represents the Word of God. The Word of God. The torch represents the glory of God, the fragrance of Christ. And the jar represents humanity. We have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels. And God says, in order for my glory to be released... In order for the people to know that this had nothing to do with man, but completely was dependent upon me, he said, you speak my word, and the jar is smashed, and my glory is manifested. It speaks of a people that have the word of God in them, in their heart and in their mouth, and who are broken before God, and as the jar of clay this earthen vessel we possess is broken, then the fire and the glory of God is released to deal with whatever situation. 
But you see, and I was, I was talking to the Lord about this, and I said, okay, God, now, how does this happen? And the Lord showed me, he said, listen, who am I? And, and I said, Lord, you know, I'm talking about breaking forth. We're talking about things being broken. And he said, I'm Baal Perizim. Do you remember that story? Baal Perizim. Yeah, I said, I remember, Lord. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 5, for example, where the Lord broke forth against his enemies through the hands of David and his mighty men. And at that point, David said, he called that place Baal Perizim which means Lord of breaking forth, Lord of breakthroughs. And you see, I was talking to the Lord, and the Lord spoke this to me. He said, you, you, he said, tell my people, and he wants me to share this up in Cambridge as well, that I'm bringing them into a breaker anointing. Tell them I'm bringing them into a breaker anointing, and things are going to start to break. We're going to see chains breaking. And, and I said, Jesus... You know, I saw it happening already this week. I'm seeing it in different places. You know, there's different stories where, where someone this week, even in this church, had, had some opposition. And we just spoke the Word of God over that situation. And in the natural, there is no way that this, this situation would change. But within hours, within hours, the situation completely changed. And the Lord said to me, I'm bringing a breaker anointing. I'm going to release that breaker anointing. And it will, be, it will break forth from my people who are broken. It's not going to happen to everyone or through everyone. But it will break forth through those who are broken. And I am telling you that we are on the verge of something powerful that's about to happen. But God is saying there has to be brokenness. There has to be brokenness. He's not going to share the glory. No man's going to get the glory. But there's a breaker anointing that wants, he wants to release that's in you so that things will begin to break. I mean, I'm talking... Yesterday we were, had our pastor's meeting and, and there was a lady from Africa, from Nigeria, who's now planning a four-square church in Queens, New York City. And she got up and she spoke about the breaker anointing. She spoke about the anointing breaking the yoke of bondage. Actually, Pastor Stephen Akinwakomi, who's a Nigerian four-square pastor in Toronto, is having a revival all this weekend. And the, th and the theme of it is, is breaking the yoke of bondage. So, and, and God had already just spoken this to me, like the other day. And, and, you know, everything that I heard yesterday had to do with breaking. Breaking. And I'm telling you, people, if we're going to trust God, if we're going to trust God, and we're going to come to that place... Where we're going to say, I'm going to set the trumpet to my mouth. I'm going to proclaim your word. And I'm going to walk in humility and brokenness before God. There's going to be a breaking forth. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see miracles. I'm talking about, I'm talking about demons cast out. I'm talking about the sick healed. I'm talking about marriages healed. I'm talking about financial prosperity. I'm talking about even the dead being raised. If we will come to that place where we will truly be broken. You see, a broken man recognizes that without Christ he can do nothing. He doesn't just give verbal lip service to that or mental assent, but I mean, he lives that out. He says, I've got to seek you, God. I've got to be in your presence. I've got to rely upon you. I don't want to trust in the arm of flesh. Cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of flesh. But blessed is he who trusts in the Lord his God and makes the Lord his God his strength. You see, blessed is that man. 
But I'm telling you, there's a breaker anointing that's going to break forth. We're going to see it. We're going to see it if we're obedient to the Lord. We're going to see a breaker anointing in this nation that's going to break chains. We're going to see drug addicts set free. We're going to see people saved. We're going to see the glory of God come into our midst like never before if we will come to that place where we will become so dependent upon God and so liberated from self-will and stubbornness and the things of the flesh that we're going to walk in complete dependence of the Lord. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen. God has told me, can you come, Naomi? The Lord has shown me a principle, and you know this is true if you know the word. The principle is simply this. God shows us something, but we pray it to pass, and we proclaim it. You know, the devil doesn't want that to happen, right? You know, God, show me something. Listen, let me tell you about the word of knowledge, the way it works. You know the way it works. God gives you a word of knowledge. He says, there's somebody here who's got this situation in their life. God gave me a prophetic word this morning for someone in this church. They're not here today. But I'm going to share it later. It has to do with delighting yourself in the Lord. And He's going to give you the desires of your heart. There's some of you who've been praying for God to open a door of ministry. There's a specific passion now. There's a specific call that God has said, You know, I'm calling you to do this and to reach out and to minister to this type of people. And God's saying, You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to open that door. There's going to be a breaker anointing that goes forth and opens that door. There's going to be an anointing that breaks through everything and anything that could try to hinder that from coming to pass. And the Lord has said in His Word, He said, When I open a door, no man can shut it. No man can shut it. Hallelujah. No man can shut it. When I open the door, no man can shut it. Behold, I set before you an open door. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you that if we will just enter into that place where we'll say, Lord, it's not about me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have the resources to do it. Whether we have little or much, we still don't. But God, this has got to be you. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds it, there's a breaker anointing. There's a breaker anointing that He will break through those. Baal Perizim. Father, we thank You that You are Baal Perizim. We thank you that you are Lord of breaking forth. We thank you that you are master of breakthrough. We thank you, Lord, that you are a deliverer. We thank you, Lord, that you open doors. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that our children will be saved. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will see our children worshiping you. We thank you that we will see spouses who do not know you worshiping you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will see you break forth, Lord God, break through everything that exalts itself. Every wall, every obstacle and obstruction that would try to block the knowledge of God coming through to people. Lord, in the name of Jesus. We believe it. We believe it. And we receive it. We believe it. And we receive it. In the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you. That as we walk in humility. When we truly become broken. That out of that. There's a birth. Out of that. 
the aroma of Christ is released. The glory and the fire of God is manifested. All these different word pictures in your word. But everyone points back to the truth that it's only through brokenness. It's only through broken things that this happens. Lord, we praise you for that. And we want to be broken, Father. Forgive us, Lord, for being self-willed. Scripture says that a bishop, an overseer, must not be self-willed. Do you know what it says there? Must not be self-willed. You know, that's true for all of us. God's saying we can't be self-willed. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus said, I came down from heaven to earth, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Lord, I hear your voice. My ears are open. Morning by morning, you're speaking to me. And when you speak to me, Lord, I respond. Just the slight pull to the right and I go right. Just a little nudge and I respond. I hear your still small voice and I respond. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for each person that is here today, Lord. That as you say, the breaker anointing is coming. That's that anointing that is in is going to be released in a more powerful way. That is going to start breaking down walls. It's going to break down strongholds in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just receive it. We receive it. And we walk in brokenness. We receive it. And we walk in brokenness. If that's you this morning, just before we go, I want to just invite you to come forward. You want to say, I'm going to take a few moments. And I'm just going to kneel. I'm going to talk to God about brokenness. Talk to the Lord about Him breaking in your life. Would you just come out of your seat and just come and kneel somewhere at the front or stand, however you're comfortable? Just before we go today, I'm going to... Brokenness. You see, His body was broken. The bread is broken. The jar is broken. The alabaster box has to be broken. You see, it has to be broken. It has to be broken. We have to be broken. You see, the truth about brokenness is once we become broken, we are no longer useful for anything in ourselves. That jar, when it was broken, it lost its purpose. It lost its usefulness. But yet, in tandem, there was a release of the manifestation of God. So in other words, when we die, when we die, He lives. When we die, He lives. When we die, He lives. When we lose our lives, we find our life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for brokenness. Like David, doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter what we've done, but like David, we recognize today, Lord, we recognize today that you're merciful and you're gracious. So forgive us, Lord, and break us. Lord, you are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us. Fashion us. Conform us to your image. Conform us to your purpose. Let us be a vessel of honor. Let us be a vessel of honor, Father. We submit to the work of the Spirit. We submit to your work in us. Hallelujah. And Lord, we know that even when David died, when he died to self and he became broken, Even though he lost something, you gave him another son, Jedediah, 
beloved of the Lord. You birthed something through his brokenness. And Lord, we receive the birthing. We receive the birthing of your purposes through our lives. We, Father, Father, we just right now, Lord, we just, we, we just cooperate and we respond to you. And we birth, Lord God, what you're trying to birth through us. We just see it released in the name of Jesus. The birthing of the purpose of God. Jedediah, the, the beloved of the Lord. Jedediah, Jedediah. We speak Jedediah in this place today. The beloved of the Lord coming forth. The beloved of the Lord coming forth. Coming into that place of fullness. That place of knowing the mercy and grace and favor of God in our lives. In a way that we've never experienced before. Knowing your favor. Knowing your grace. Experiencing the hand of the Lord upon your children. Lord, we speak the hand of the Lord upon your children. Lord, that your hand would rest upon your children, Father. Your hand, the hand of the Lord upon families. The hand of the Lord upon families. The hand of the Lord upon families. We speak the hand of God upon businesses. We speak the hand of God upon bodies bringing health. We speak the hand of God upon, Lord, regions and cities, Lord God. We speak the hand of God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we say, Breaker anointing, come forth. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Through a broken people, we say that David shall reign. David shall reign. And Saul shall be dethroned. No more religion. No more death. No more disobedience or compromise, which is exemplified by the solace regime. But Lord, at David, men and women, after your own hearts, who, Lord, may not be perfect, but they will walk in the ways of God. They will walk in the ways of God. They will respond to you, Lord, in brokenness and with contrite hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord, have your way, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Have your way, Holy Spirit. The breaker anointing be released. The breaker anointing be released. The breaker anointing be released. Be released through those who submit to you. Through those who humble themselves before you, Lord. Through those, Lord Jesus, who will no longer lean upon their own understanding or lean upon the arm of the flesh. But they will make you their wisdom. They will make you their strength. They will make you their righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. Lord, let it come forth. Let it come forth in the name of Jesus. We proclaim it. We speak 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 it. Jesus healed the sick with his word is what the scripture says. He spoke it and it happened. So we speak it, Lord, because we believe it's your word. We believe it's your word. We believe it's your word. Hallelujah. We're praying. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And I'm Sandy now. The Lord just told me he's got something for you guys that goes beyond what you're believing. He's got something for you that goes beyond what you're believing in. He's saying not to limit him. Not to limit him anymore. But just to take the limits off. Remove the ceiling. Just remove the ceiling and watch what God's going to do. You're going to be blessing in your finances even. He's going to bless your family. Just receive it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We receive it, Father. Not for our name's sake, not for us, but it's all about you.
it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's not about us. We receive your power. We receive your presence. We receive the riches of glory. Father, that we may, Lord Jesus, do what you called us to do, Lord Jesus. That we may walk in the reign and the rule of Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I also felt the Lord say this. There's a place of intercession. That's deeper than where maybe most of us have been. And there's a place of intercession. And that God is saying to enter into that place. It's a place of travail with tears. A place of travail with tears. Rachel mourning. Rachel mourning. I hear that in the spirit. Rachel weeping. Rachel weeping. That's what I hear in my spirit. Rachel weeping. There's a place of brokenness. Weeping. And God is saying if we will go there. If we will go there. That joy will come in the morning. The joy will come in the morning. Joy will come in the morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see household salvation. Hallelujah. We're going to see the hand of God move in a mighty way. In a mighty way. For it is written, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine according to the power that is in us. According to the power that is in us. Father, we thank you. We speak it. We believe it. We receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. You've been standing in the gap. Believing for children to be saved. God's going to hear you. You just press in. Travail, travail, travail. Don't get angry anymore. Just ditch the anger. Get rid of the anger and move into brokenness. Throw out the anger and move into brokenness. Get rid of anger. Move into brokenness. And the Lord's saying it's going to happen. Get rid of the anger because anger is about you. Anger has to do with self-righteousness, but move into brokenness. And that's at the place where you're beyond anger, where you because anger has to do with control and anger has to do with you. But move out of anger and move into brokenness. Move into brokenness. Move into brokenness. Father, you heal the brokenhearted. Father, you heard Hannah's prayer. You gave her a son, and his name was Samuel, which means heard by God. Heard by God. Heard by God. Oh, Father, heard by you. Oh, God, have your way. Have your way. Have your way, Father. Have your way. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. There's a word that God has 
I don't know him. I believe that there's a word that God has. And that word has to do with him coming soon. He hasn't given that to me in fullness, but I believe that someone has a word. It has to do with his return being nigh. Saying is coming soon.